0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Well, it's great to have you here today. We are in our fourth of five weeks on uh, the book of Daniel in this series called Stand, and we're asking the question, what do you stand for? How will you stand out? When will you stand firm? And for whom or for what will you stand up? And a lot of people are making a lot of stands today. We've mentioned that. But many of the stands are just kind of different versions of bravado, selfishness, self-will. You know, assertiveness, I think some of that also hides kind of a fear behind it, actually. I better stand firm. It's kind of like that little dog syndrome. Have you ever uh, noticed what a little dog syndrome is, right? That little dog against the Great Dane, and all of a sudden that little dog is acting so fierce and mean, and the Dane is like, well, what is this, you know? Doesn't even care. I think human beings, we think we better stand firm or else, and it's really based on fear. We're not talking about that today. We are standing not in fear, not in, but in faith, And we're standing firm in faith by trusting in what God is going to do through Jesus Christ, what he has done, how he is working in our lives today, right now. Um, Last week, we went through uh, probably one of the most famous stories in the book of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. This week is probably one of the least uh, famous stories. It's Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9 not a lot of wild and crazy events that are going on, nothing like, you know, no lions, no beasts, no fires, no idols, uh, not an antagonist or drama, but this prayer is just amazing to me. It's shocking to me in some ways, and it's something I want to incorporate more into my life and how I'm praying right now in this time for our God's people, his church, in this world, in the midst of Babylon, and in our culture today. So we're going to read that prayer, uh, just uh, a portion of the chapter, not the entire chapter this morning, but uh, 19 verses. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was na- made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem namely 70 years, and by the way, this means that when he's talking about this, this is almost at the end of those 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As to this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. We have made a a name for yourself as to this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly, O Lord. According to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, may your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations, the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Long prayer, maybe you're not used to prayers that long, but I think there's a lot of profundity in it. We're going to learn these three things today as we try to stand firm in faith, and that is what needs to change, a crucial step in that change, and who really changes us, Okay? So what needs to change, I think everybody right now is sick and tired of COVID pandemic, right? We wanna just get beyond it, and we're seeing kind of some light at the end of the tunnel, and that maybe by this fall, Lord willing, (laughs) we will finally get back to, quote, normal, unquote, or some semblance of it, right? I think that's just like Judah, but probably for them a lot more strongly, because they've been in captivity and exile for 70 years, not just one. And they couldn't wait to get out of exile and get back to Judah and to Jerusalem to, quote, normal. And Daniel realized that's where they were at. Um, A lot of commentators, by the way, think this name of Darius here is another name for Cyrus the Mede who was the one to, when he ascended the throne a couple years into his reign, would decree to Nehemiah and others to allow the children of Israel, Judah, to go back to the land, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem under Jeremiah, to rebuild the temple under Ezra, that the exile would be ending. And you'd think at this point in time that Daniel would be kind of like cheering and celebrating and praising God and it would be a psalm of praise we get, but we get a confession instead. Isn't that kind of interesting? Yes, instead, of being thrilled and elated, Daniel's wondering if the people are ready for this. Had they learned anything from their 70 years of captivity? Will they just go back to the land and be the way that they were beforehand, which ended them in exile in the first place? Do you realize, you know, are we just going to get back to the property and then everything will happen all over again and we forsake the Lord again? And so Daniel prays and he prays profoundly. Christopher Wright in his uh, book on the book of Daniel says this, even though Cyrus would be God's means of bringing the Israelites back to Jerusalem at a deeper level, God needed to bring them back to himself. They needed not only to be lifted out of exile but to be forgiven for their sin. So as God's people, as a portion of God's people who are here present online as part of the Christian church here in the United States and around the world. Are God's people really ready to leave this pandemic behind us? Will we simply return to the way it was beforehand? And is that really a good thing to want to go back to what was? Do you understand what I mean by this? Because Um, What I've seen in the United States is we were really having a consumer church that's offering kind of a weekly fix of wonderful music, inspiration, but then our lives just basically go back to just being focused more on commerce than anything else, getting more stuff in our lives and doing the same old as everybody else and nothing really being different about us from the rest of our community or world. And so is that what we want, to just have, quote, church back the way it was or will we have learned something to realize we need more depth in our relationships more um, connections in community more sacrifice and willingness to serve others so that we are the salt of the earth that make a difference and the light of the world that shined forth Sonia Renee Taylor probably has written a lot of things, but I like what she said about this in this quote. She said, we will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence is not normal other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. And that's a hard-hitting statement. But I think there's some truth to that. I don't wanna go back to the way it was if we're just kinda huddled into our little group. And I don't want the church to just be what it's been because a lot of it wasn't, I think, really what God intended for us to be. There's much more that needs to change in us than just having the unemployment rate go down. There is much more that needs to change in us than just a change of a couple politicians, which we've had recently. We don't just need a change in the vaccination rates. We need something much more. Daniel realized that for God's people, that there was something much more than just getting back to a piece of property. It wasn't about real estate. It was about being the people of God. So coming out of this pandemic, I think we need to kind of think through how are we going to come out of this? Are we going to be better? Have we learned? Have we grown? And in what way are we going to connect to the real deep-seated needs in our community and world? The needs that there's so many people disconnected and despairing and anxious and frightened, etc. It's amazing. There's so much division. There's so many other things. And we can bring the truth of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ. So we have started a... Uh, Vision Prayer Team, just this last week, on Wednesdays and Sundays. It's in our newsletter. You'll have Zoom links to be able to be involved in that. We'd love for you to join in. It's no, not at all too late to join into this because that is one of the things that we're looking at, not just, um, oh, we've got this property over here near um, FGCU, and what are we going to do to develop that? But who are we going to be? What does God want us to be, and how are we going to truly be um, ambassadors for the kingdom of God and for his work. So join us in this, because we are looking at a, what I think Daniel's looking at, not just a return to a piece of property, but a deepening return to God. What needs to happen in America, I think more than anything, is a renewal of the Christian church, a truly change in the way we've been acting in this world, as followers of Jesus Christ. And only that way are we going to actually make any real difference in our community or world. What needs to change? Daniel in this prayer says um, God's people do. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? And then here comes the second step which kind of reinforces some of this, a crucial step to change. What amazed me about Daniel, by the way, is when you read this prayer, he does not focus on Babylon or on Persia. And by the way, he's lived now for about 70 years in this culture, and it's not a great cult. It's filled with, and we brought up the injustices that have happened, the exploitation of, of peoples and groups uh, that have been going on in Babylon, the arrogance and the, um, you know, the idolatry, but he doesn't focus on any of those things. No, he focuses instead where it needs to be, on God's people. Christopher Wright goes on and says this, he ignores the pagan evil empire and focuses entirely on the sin of God's people in the midst of it. So what lesson is there in in that for us? It seems to me that there is a tendency in Christian circles sometimes to be highly critical of the world around us while being naive, self-excusing, and downright triumphalistic about the church. It may have something to do with a Hollywood culture of bad guys and good guys, and we're the good guys. Self-righteousness is such an easy sin to slip into, almost as easy as self-pity. And so what's amazing to me in this story, in this prayer that we have recorded here, is how Daniel talks about God's people in at least 10 different ways he mentions how they have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. And you can read through these verses and he repeats many of these phrases again and again throughout the prayer. But even more shocking than that is the fact that Daniel doesn't say, you know, your people, they have sinned. Those people have sinned. My ancestors sinned. No, he says, We have sinned. I have sinned. Now, what's shocking about that is do you realize he was about 12 to 15 years old when he was first taken into Babylon? So he's only 12 to 15. He's only had, you know, and a few years of that life growing up. Have you really participated in your culture or your community at all? And he is not, uh, but he is not exempting himself from what. His culture did at his time. He's not, he never himself ever worshiped an idol. He never um, really did any of those things, but he doesn't exempt himself from any of it. He identifies completely with it. In fact, he says in verse 20, the verse after what we've read before, he says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin. Do you see that? Isn't that fascinating? Daniel fully identifies with his people. He doesn't stand out looking at them and saying, well, that was past history. He stands as one of them, as all of them, as one. One of the greatest novels ever written um, is by Fyodor Dostoevsky called The Brothers Karamazov. Anybody ever read that? Yes. Do you like it? It's a tough, tough read in some ways, but I would recommend reading it at some point in your life. Um, and um, in it, he, um, he, Dostoevsky himself is a, a Russian Orthodox Christian who had kind of a conversion experience throughout his life uh, in one point of his life. And one of the main points he makes in this entire novel is that Russians, what Russians call this word sobernost, which I didn't really know until I read about this. And it's basically this understanding of I am responsible and a part of a community, and I have solidarity with everyone, and I have that responsibility for everyone. And it's, I think, what Daniel is getting at here. He does not separate himself out and say, well, it's those people over there that did that. No, he joins in with it. Dostoevsky writes this um, uh, passage in the novel He says this, there is only one salvation for you. Take yourself up and make yourself responsible for all the sins of men. For indeed it is so, my friend, in the moment you make yourself sincerely responsible for everything and everyone, you will see at once that it is really so, that it is you who are guilty on behalf of all and for all. Which seems really weird to us that he'd ever say something like that, but he's basically saying, don't, don't, you know, don't separate yourself from anyone. No differentiation. Take full responsibility for everything. And you're probably saying, but wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense, especially in our highly individualistic culture. Why would I be blamed for some, what somebody else does? And Dostoevsky would say, because you live in relationship with them. You're part of the community. You can't separate yourself from the rest of humanity. Daniel would say, if you don't identify with other people and everyone, if you won't repent and hold yourself, and you try to hold yourself out as different than others, if you want to separate yourself from them, you won't repent of that, you'll probably end up repeating what they did. In fact, you know one of the chief ways that um, anybody in a family, when you look at your parents, and one, one guarantee for repeating what your parents did is to say, some point in life, I will never be like my father, my mother, or whatever. I will never be like my sister. I will never be like my brother when he, and you can almost guarantee you're going to do it. (laughs) And there have been too many times when I've uh, responded to my children, and I've heard that voice come out of me that I heard so many years. Do you, have any of you ever had that feeling like, oh my gosh, that sounds just like my dad. (laughs) Okay, Paul kind of says this as well in the New Testament in 1 Timothy. He says he's the chief of sinners. He just makes that a blanket statement for his life. And you might say, well, yeah, because he killed some people in the church or he persecuted the Christians and all. I think he's also saying, you know what? For all of us, we need to kind of say, I'm chief of sinners. All categories off. The only way forward, the only way not to repeat the past is to repent of everything, even things that you were not directly involved in, even things that I just indirectly kind of benefited from. You know, Christian history is filled with so much and um, Daniel would look at it from what I can tell from this text and would look at that whole history and he would say, we have done these things. Even if I wasn't in the Crusades, even if I wasn't in uh, the past history of America, that we have done these things. You might say, but I haven't done any of that stuff. And I would say, really? Okay. do you know if I were in those situations, if I had lived at that time, I can't separate myself. It's just kind of like how the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. you know I can't look back and say well you know Adam and Eve just screwed it up for us all. If it wasn't for them we'd be in great shape. Do you realize that that's just not biblical? What's biblical is saying I was Adam. I'm like Eve. I'm like every every character in the Bible is not just there to tell you what they did, but to show you your own human tendencies. I know I probably have stepped in it right now and you don't like how it smells, okay? I get that. This is tough stuff. But Daniel recognizes that. He identifies fully with his people. He acknowledges the entire history. He doesn't separate himself from those kings that went before him or the judges and the immorality that went before him. He just says, we and I, and he comes before God fully identifying with it. But that doesn't change everything. It's this third point that we're getting to from this text of who really does the change and brings it about. Daniel concludes his prayer and he says, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Daniel doesn't say, God, you know, I'm doing a good job of repenting now, so please forgive. He doesn't say, oh, God, we're changing. Look, we've made some changes, so we're on the way. We're doing our part. We're sincere. None of that. He knows that that will not do. It will not work. No. He says, Lord, it's only your mercy that's going to make any difference. Nothing else. And he starts to recite, then, the history of God's mercy with his people. He says, he focuses on God's past. He says in Daniel nine fifteen, And now, O Lord, your God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Look at what you've done, how you've been merciful to us, how you've acted in our lives again and again and again. And then he calls on as well, God's reputation of how he has so identified himself and stood beside the children of Israel, even though they have fallen. And then he says in Daniel 9, and now, O Lord, a God who brought your people out of the land of Egypt. And then he goes on in verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our father, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all the, those who are Around us. In other words, your name has been um, treated poorly. You've got a bad reputation now because of what has happened to us. So I'm not I'm looking for your name's sake, O oh God, for your renown among the nations, for the fact that you want everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Please come and restore us to show the nations how you work in mercy. Daniel? is rubbing God's nose, in a sense, into God's own promises that he's made. And he's saying, God, didn't you, haven't you, your name, for your name's sake, for your mercy, for your reputation, you need to do this. And I'm going to hold you to it because I know you are merciful and gracious and righteous at the same time. What's amazing is Daniel receives an answer that just kind of blows him out of the water. And I can't get into all the details of it. You can read up on the different interpretations of this somewhat um, apocalyptic, um, mysterious prophecy. But it comes up in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 here. And uh, Daniel, uh, Christopher Wright says this, had prayed that God would deal with Israel's sin and Gabriel answered in verse 24, he will, but not merely in coming to return from exile. Beyond that, in about 500 years time, God will so decisively act that he will bring about not just a temporary restoration of a still sinful people to their land, but a complete solution to the whole problem of sin itself. Daniel is not just 70 years. Judah will return to the land, They'll get the property back, but there's a lot more that has to happen. In fact, they'll never be in charge of their land again. They'll still be a puppet state of Persia and then of Greece and then of Rome. There'll be no king on the throne. The priesthood will always be questionable up until the time, about 70 times seven, you've heard that before somewhere probably, about 490-ish years from now, I'm gonna bring a complete solution to this situation. So Daniel twenty nine twenty four seventy 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. And you know what happens about 500 years later. Jesus is born. He is the one who atones for the iniquity of his people, who brings everlasting righteousness and puts an end to the reign of sin once and for all. God is the one who changes history, changes your history and mine. And that's why we can stand. You know, what's fascinating to me about Jesus as well is he could so much more than even Daniel did in this prayer um, or so much more separate himself from everybody and say, I'm nothing like these people. You know, I can't even relate to how they think or act or do because he was without sin. He never even had a negative, you know, he had none of the taint that we do. And he still lived in this world perfectly. And he could have separated himself and said, I have nothing to do with them. And he would be okay to say that. But he chose instead to identify fully with us and that becomes our salvation. Instead, Jesus identifies with not only Israel, and not only with people who might be fearing of God or believing in something, but even with the rebellious and the criminal and the worst of the worst. Second Corinthians, Paul says it this way, that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin. He didn't just identify with sinners, he became our sin. I think kind of paraphrasing what Dostoevsky wrote in The Brothers Karamazov, Jesus could say there's only one way of salvation for you. I will make myself responsible for the sins of men for indeed it is so, my friend. And the moment I make myself sincerely responsible for everything and everyone, you will see at once that this is really so, that it is I am guilty on behalf of all and for all. And that's what the cross is about. Anything less than Jesus' complete and perfect substitution and sacrifice just isn't going to do. Daniel's prayer was amazingly and profound, but he didn't see far enough what God was intending to do. God would answer his prayer 70 times 7 beyond what he'd ever expect, infinitely more than he could ever imagine by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for the sake of us and take our place. Repentance isn't even enough. Repentance doesn't change God's heart. God's heart changes toward us through his son Jesus Christ and then we repent as we realize God's grace and goodness. A God offered complete sacrifice for sin, a substitute, a full identification of Jesus Christ as the greater Daniel with everything that should be our history, on him taking the whole history of the world upon himself that's what changes things. That's why we can stand. We stand not in our own righteousness, but in Christ. Not in our attempts, not even in our repentance, not in our sincerity, but in the recognition that Jesus has corporately and individually taken the mess of humanity upon himself. So, I think Daniel's prayer, chapter nine, Not as well known as others, but I think as profound, if not more profound than anything else in this book. What needs to change? The pandemic might change. We might get beyond it. But I hope I've learned something from it. What God intends for us also as a people, I need to change and we need to change. A crucial step in that change, make no excuses. Don't try to say it's them over there that need it or they need it or they need it we need it. We own it all. But who really is changing us? Jesus and God's grace in him we stand. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this day. This is just a profound word. Um, It's so easy, as uh, Christopher Wright said, to become self-righteous and look at this world has broken and fallen and terrible and awful. It's so easy to look at the Babylon we live in that way. But like Daniel, Lord, we stand before you now and we ask, Lord, forgive us. We are the ones that need your salvation. We are the ones, Lord. Lord, we don't separate ourselves from any of that. We identify fully that in Adam all have died. And Lord, we have fallen short of your glory. And your church has not owned its history. Your people have not, uh, we've wanted to say, oh, we're beyond that. We haven't gotten beyond any of this stuff. Lord, forgive us. We need right now in this church, in this place, in our lives, as well as in our society, in your church, Lord, that you would change us and renew us and transform us the way Daniel prayed. For us to be any earthly good, Lord God, any good for your kingdom, we need this change. We thank you, Lord, that you are not because of our mercies, not because of our righteousness, but because of your mercy, because of your compassion, your steadfast love, your covenant love, because of what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, to seal that covenant, to be our substitute, Lord God. That's what we hold on to now of why things can change in our lives. We can change and be transformed. Thank you, Lord God, for these things. Right now, we also lift up to you um, a number of people in our congregation. For Chris, who is still hosp- who is hospitalized right now, we pray for your healing upon her. She's gone through so much in the last few years. We pray, Lord God, you'd be with her and be with Jamie, that you would strengthen them. For those like the Griskies and for uh, the Rowenfelds who are. Um, wondering whether they have been exposed to COVID. We just pray, Lord, your protection and your healing there. And for all of us, Lord, that you would keep us safe. We pray for our society. Yes, Lord, we want the economy to improve and we want uh, the pandemic to to, uh, be minimized and that you would keep us uh, physically fit and all those things and our society get back to many of the things that we've lost over this last year but Lord we need your renewal more than anything we need to come back to you not just to the way things were and you know it we pray Lord that you would bring that about that um, that we would be part of your instrument in this world to bring that about in just the way that we treat with compassion and grace and understanding that we would never separate ourselves or be haughty or above anyone else, but just the way that we identify with the people around us and then bring them to you, Lord God, that we would be a part of your renewal in this, your kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, your glory, your goodness, your grace. That's what we need more than anything else. All these things we pray uh, only for the sake of and because of Jesus Christ, amen.